Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're studying our way through this brief four-part study uh, series on Jesus' Beatitudes, his blessings and, and the life lessons that flow out of them. What we're actually looking at here in Luke 6 is our calling. You understand this? Jesus is speaking to those who desire to follow him, and he is teaching them, he is teaching us what the truly blessed life looks like. This is the way. This is our calling. And today we're on part three in this mini-series, and I've titled this morning's study, I Check Up. If you've read the text in advance or are familiar with this chapter, then you know exactly where I'm going with this play on words. This is a very familiar passage in which Jesus is calling his disciples to evaluate their spiritual vision. And his concern is not so much the clarity of their far-sighted focus as it is their nearsighted. They have no trouble seeing the problems and sins and others. But there is some serious blindness going on toward themselves and their own faults and sins. And Jesus is telling them, if you follow me, I can cure you of this. I can restore your vision. I can free you from this, this dreadful burden of sin towards God and others. Now, if you haven't been with us in recent weeks, then be sure to read verses 20 through 36. Verses 20 to 36, or watch the first you know, couple sessions online if you like. It's essential that you see Jesus' flow of thought because the context of the whole is most critical to properly interpreting and then applying these individual commands and the overarching lessons that they all point toward. Misunderstandings and misapplications abound in verses like those that we studied last Sunday, and, that we're, and especially so today. Let's start with the famous verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Oh my goodness, how many times have we heard that verse quoted? Or should I say, misquoted? But Jesus continues, And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. By the way, that's, a, that's the same Greek word for forgive. He goes on in verse 38 to say, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So diving right in here, we see a set of four exhortations from Jesus. There are two negatives and there are two positives. They're opposites. And then Jesus gives the reason why to follow these exhortations. He gives us the reward. Now right out the gate, I've got to ask the obvious question. Is Jesus saying to never judge people? In the sense of never pointing out a person's faults. To never tell a person that they're wrong and sinning against God according to his word. Well, the answer is no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because that would contradict much of what the rest of scripture teaches. 
It would contradict the way Jesus lived his life and did ministry. It would contradict the minist- much of the ministry of the apostles. Many times the Bible tells us to beware evil and ungodly people. To do that, we have to make a judgment, a decision or a discernment about them and their character and their behavior. Ephesians 4.15 says to speak the truth in love. And of course, sometimes that includes hard truths. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. 2 Timothy 4.2. He even told Timothy, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. 1 Timothy 5.20. There is no question that there will be situations where we have to discern and decide whether someone is right or wrong. We have to make a judgment. So when Jesus says, do not judge and do not condemn, what is he trying to say? How, how are we to understand these very pointed statements? I would propose to you that it's the same way we interpreted the verses prior last week. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down, or if you write in your Bible, this may be worth noting. Jesus is addressing a general problem with a general statement. He is saying in very broad terms, stop judging people. Stop condemning people. For example, that's like me telling one of my kids, stop yelling at your brother. Now, does that mean Never yell at him again? Of course not. For heaven's sake, yes, if he's about to get run over by a car, yell at him. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous, right? We've all had these conversations with our children. We've had these conversations as children. Likewise, if we don't hear the context of what Jesus is saying, we're going to come up with some ridiculous interpretations and therefore applications We saw this last week in verses 29 and 30. It says, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. The ridiculous question would be something like this. So are we supposed to just let people rob us and beat us up all day long? You can just hear Jesus' answer. Of course not. You're missing the whole point. All I said was to stop hating and cursing your enemies. Do good. Love them and bless them and pray for them. What was the big picture statement Jesus gave in verse 31? Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And yes, if I was sinning, That's how I would want people to treat me. That was the lesson Jesus was trying to teach in these very hard-to-hear statements. And, of course, this was all coupled with verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful, speaking of our Father in heaven. And he points out, He's kind even to ungrateful and evil people. So should we. That's the whole point of Jesus' message. 
And if we get all hung up on the letter of the law, what are we going to miss? The spirit of what he was trying to say. And Jesus gave here in our text for today a major motivation for following the four exhortations he gave about stopping judging and stop being so condemning, be forgiving, give. He says in the end of verse 38, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Sometimes we have to pause and really think and chew on these sentences. In 21st century terms, that means what goes around comes around. Now, there are two perspectives and applications to this general principle, both of which are supported in Scripture. The one is that people will tend to reciprocate. Show anger, get anger in return. Show kindness in general, get kindness in return. The second is that God steps in and He either blesses or chastises us based on our behavior toward others. Think about this. On the positive side, have you noticed that when you're around a genuinely joyful person, it makes you want to be more joyful? When people are kind to you, there is an instinct to be kind in return. But on on the other hand, have you noticed that judgmental, critical people tend to attract the same back to themselves. Condemning people tend to attract condemnation. This is not as a law. This doesn't happen 100% of the time, but as a general circumstance. I don't know why, but I tend to want to be mean to mean people. You know what I'm talking about. And of course, I, I do know why. It's not right, but there is that instinct. The truth is, angry people tend to make everyone around them angry. And I'll be honest, when when I'm stressed out, it makes everybody else in our home stressed out. I mean, it's like clockwork. And when Ruth is happy, everybody's happy. You get the idea. This also applies with God. As a general principle, how we treat others is how God is going to treat us. This could not be clear in passages like Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You swing all the way back into the Old Testament, you look at the Proverbs, these general principles for life. Proverbs 19, 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. As a general principle for disciples of Christ, for followers of Christ to live by, first Jesus said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And here in the text he now says, how you treat them is how you will be treated. You can see he's continuing the same thing. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, I love the way Jesus referenced this standard of measure in verse 38. He says, if you forgive and give, it's what will come back to you. He put it this way. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, the key to understanding a statement like that is is understanding a little bit of history. 
In Jesus' day, a person would go to market and they would buy some grain, let's say. But instead of walking away with a box or walking away with a bag, it would be held in their, in their outer robe. They'd order, let's say, five servings of grain. They'd hold out the fabric of their outer robe and the merchant would pour five servings in. Now, of course, a selfish merchant would do his best to give as little as possible, only what is required. But a generous and a kind merchant would press it down and shake it a little and perhaps even fill it to running over. Everybody, everybody here knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say this is exactly how we dish up our ice cream. We press it down, fill in the cracks, if nobody's looking, it might even be leaning over the edge of the bowl. But is that how we serve it up for others? Just yesterday, I got a soft serve ice cream, and, and once I ate off the top, I realized the middle was hollow. I felt robbed. <laughs> of course, we've also all been to, to Dairy Queen or wherever it might be and, and gotten the cone that was so tall, we were afraid it would collapse as it was handed to us. You couldn't eat the top off fast enough before it melted. That's running over. But here's the main point Jesus is driving at. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is a reference again to the golden rule. Second time in the text here. Dish it up for them how you would like them to dish it up for you. Even if it means, here's context, that you won't be left with as much. Even if it costs you, even if it hurts you, even if they hurt you, love your enemies. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Give generously. Do not demand justice. Treat them how you would want to be treated. You see, when we, when we give sacrificially, even when it hurts, that's how we know we really love others and trust God. We looked at this last week, big theme from last week, and we can see it carrying into this week. Our love, or the lack thereof, is measured by how quick we are to judge others and see their faults. Condemning. Speaking in, in particularly of the motives and intentions of others, other people's hearts, which only God can see. There's a theme running through all of the Sermon on the Mount here, this, these beatitudes and exhortations. Jesus is addressing the massive sin of self righteousness. And as his ministry develops, we see it's in contrast to his own righteousness. We're looking at pride in its most ugly form in contrast to humility in its most beautiful form. And in verse 39, we see that Jesus continues to give some insight into this topic, particularly as it relates to being judgmental versus merciful. Verse 39, and he also spoke a parable to them. 
A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. You see, Jesus gave two analogies here to help us learn the big lesson that he is in the process of conveying. As you know, analogies are earthly examples that have heavenly meanings. Blind people can't lead blind people, and students are not smarter than their teachers. Let me ask, you've heard me ask this a number of times before, why would Jesus say that? Somebody give it to me. Why would Jesus say these things? It's because they need to be heard. God wastes no words. As we're studying through texts, we constantly want to remind ourselves every word, every phrase, every sentence is there because it needs to be heard. There is a need. Like we saw last week, right here in the text, Jesus is already pre-correcting the self-righteous thoughts that he knows are about to enter the mind of the listener. He would not use these analogies if the disciples of Christ in large already had good spiritual vision, if they were already humble learners. On the contrary, they had major spiritual blind spots. They didn't know as much as they thought they did. Clearly, they had an eye problem. My church family, you and I do well to acknowledge and to confess often our desperate needs in these same areas that Jesus is teaching on. There are things about ourselves and the way we see others that need to be corrected. On that basis, Jesus then goes for the heart. Look at verse 41. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Observe, Jesus just said the same thing twice. Why did he say it two times? It needed to be repeated. Jesus wastes no words. He knew that disciples would tend to not hear this the first time. And so he repeats himself. Look how he continues on. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Big picture. What is Jesus addressing in these verses? He put the word right there in the middle of the the text. Hypocrisy. Particularly, hypocrisy among followers of Christ. Those who call themselves disciples, Christians. He's talking about hypocrites that are quick to judge and condemn others. Hypocrites that refuse to forgive and give or or are hesitant to do so, resistant to do so. Hypocrites that are pointing out others' blind spots all the time. 
but don't realize that they themselves struggle with blindness. Hypocrites that are always teaching and instructing and correcting others, but don't realize they are still students themselves. Big picture, we're looking at hypocrites that see the faults of others very clearly, but are fuzzy when it comes to their own. That hurts. But Jesus graciously gives a remedy. So you got to love about the scriptures. He's always got an answer. He's got a solution. And it's true and it's divine. He says, acknowledge your own blindness. Acknowledge how much you have to learn. And take the log out of your own eye. Three steps right there. Did you notice he didn't say to just acknowledge the log in your own eye? It's too easy to say, I know I'm not perfect. When you hear those words, you know it's not going to be a good conversation, right? (laughs) I know I'm not perfect, but you, now you can fill in the blanks. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye. Take care of your own major sins first. I mentioned last week that that people often ask me, how can I know for sure I'm saved? Another way of putting that is, how can I know for sure I'm a disciple of Christ? How can I know I'm I'm a true follower? How can I know I'm a Christian? Well, here's one of the assurances. Are you removing the major sins and offenses in your life that have habitually been there for so long? Major issues against God and others. You see, if you and I are stuck in the same old major problems and sins that we've always had, then why should anyone believe us when we say God has the answer? He'll not only save you, but transform you. He'll make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Christian friend, the power of our testimony in sharing the gospel is on the line. God calls us as his followers to be taking the log out of our own eye. Notice that Jesus doesn't give a a, a five or 10 or a 12-step program at this point on how to get the log out, how to address that specific major sin that you're struggling with. He just says, get rid of it. I have to appreciate the directness of Scripture. You see, it's easy for me, it's easy for us to formulate so many excuses that we complicate our sins. You don't know who I live with. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. Jesus didn't go there. He said, get it out. Now, of course, we see that Jesus actually does give a pretty good manual. 
And a big portion of it is right here in the Beatitudes, this sermon that Jesus is giving. If you go back to verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter, and you start to identify all the steps of action that Jesus is calling his followers to, you realize there is a long list there. Lots of very effective divine steps for conquering major sins. It's just not the steps that we would typically anticipate. Steps like do good to those who hurt you. Love your enemies. Don't judge and so on. You see, we open the word and we allow its penetrating light to expose who we really are. We let its surgical power convict and convince and help and heal. God wants to restore our spiritual vision. He wants to remove the log out of our eye. Why? Quote, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye, unquote. You see, there is ministry to happen. Very, very important to observe that Jesus never said he does not want us to point out the faults in others. He said there's a right way to do it. There's an effective way to do it. I'm very grateful, or at least I'm learning to be, for those who are near and dear to me who humbly point out my blind spots to me. They address my sins, my shortcomings, my immaturities. As much as I don't like it, that is a big part of how I grow. It's how you grow. It's how the body of Christ ministers sanctification to one another, the sanctification of God through the Spirit, through the Word. This is part of how the ministry of the body of Christ works. But the focus in this text is that so many Christians are doing it wrong. Look at the final perspective, the final clarity that Jesus gives on this matter in verses 43 to 45. He says, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. You have to appreciate the tremendous individual accountability that God gives to each of us. He goes on to say, For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Observe the three parts in that sentence. Tuck those away. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And then as Jesus has done repeatedly throughout these, uh, these verses, he now gives the capstone to what he's trying to say. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Isn't that interesting? If I am reading and understanding this text correctly, Jesus just said, this is how you judge someone. Think about it. In the context of the whole, that is the, one of the only interpretations that makes sense. This is how you judge someone. 
But again, context tells us that Jesus is primarily saying, this is how you judge yourself. You see, we would be missing the whole premise and intent of what Jesus is saying if we read through these passages and said, that's what my spouse needs to hear. That's what my church family needs to know. That's what my neighbor needs. One of the driving foundational points of this whole sermon is introspection. The people of God need to do a much better of job through the Word and the Spirit of looking at themselves. Oh, the wisdom of God's Word. I mean, just imagine a church family that is really good at doing all the things we've studied for the past three weeks. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that church family? Jesus just presented here in these last couple verses in the capstone one of the great accountability truths. Good people do good things. Evil people do evil things, period. That means when unkind, arrogant, judgmental words come out of our mouth, it's not because the other person is so bad and deserves it. It's because we have evil in our own heart. You've heard people say, I'm just trying to help them. It's true, it needs to be said. I think Jesus would say, no, you're being judgmental. You're being condemning when you should be forgiving and giving like your Father in heaven. I've given the example before. A young teen robs a store or vandalizes the school, ends up in jail. And before the judge, what does the mom say to the judge? But he's such a good boy. Not according to the Bible. When a spouse is abusive and the other spouse says, but I know they're a good person. I know they love me. Not according to Jesus. Now granted, when a person sins, that doesn't mean they're all bad. It means there is something bad in their heart that needs to be honestly addressed. It's not their circumstances, although those can certainly amplify the bad in the heart. It's not their past, although that can certainly amplify the needs in the heart and the bad in the heart. Jesus said, each tree is known by its own fruit. If oranges are falling off the tree, it's an orange tree. As has been said, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Call it what it is. As we're learning even in the biblical counseling that many are going through, it's not called being upset. It's anger. It's not natural attraction. It's lust. It's not success. It's greed. It's not help. It's judgmentalism at least when the heart is not right before God in these circumstances. 
Look at verse 45 again. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. There is so much wisdom and truth for living in these verses. You will not hear words like these in a newspaper. There is no self-help book that is saying this. We see from we, we can see even more perspective on this when we re- read this progression that Jesus has given, when we read it backwards. For example, good behavior happens when good treasure has been put in the heart, and that's what good people do. Are you following that? It's the same for sin. People sin because they put bad treasures in their heart at some point in the past. That is divine counseling. I don't know how much money our nation spends each year on answering the question, why do people do bad things? Why do people shoot innocent people? Why do family members abuse one another in such horrific ways? You know, interesting, the question they would likely ask is, why do good people do bad things? Now, if you've been studying the words, you know that question's off, and it leads to off answers. Bad questions lead to bad answers. Good people don't do bad things. Jesus said, in the end of this short section, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. I can't think of a more obvious application question. What are you and I filling our hearts with? I mean, Jesus asked such simple questions. Let us not overcomplicate, over-spiritualize the questions. I love the precision of the wording in Scripture. Notice that the question isn't, what are we putting in our heart? We could easily say, oh, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, I do nice things for people, and so on. The the text isn't addressing just what we put in our heart. It specifically addresses what we're filling our heart with. Those are two very different things. You see, to some degree, this is a quantity issue. You see, there's a difference between reading my Bible and filling my heart with God's Word. If on average, we pour in five or ten minutes a day of God's Word into our heart, and then two hours of television and two hours of internet surfing each day, is it fair to ask ourselves, what are we filling our hearts with? Now, to be sure, it's not just a numbers game. That would be falling into the letter of the law trap. We want to ask exactly what Jesus is asking. What are we filling our heart with on a regular basis? That's the simple question, and quantity does matter. But we can see also in the text that quality is at play because what is Jesus talking about that is actually filling our heart? Give it to me. 
It starts with T. It's right there in the, in the text. What do we talk about filling our heart with? Treasures. You see, it's not so much a matter of did I read my Bible today as it is did I treasure God's word today? There's a world of difference. We can read our Bible, but if it's not our treasure, it's not what's filling our heart. No wonder people can say, I read my Bible, I, tur- I, I, I go to church, I tithe, I, I, I serve. Why am I still struggling with sin? major sins that's because it's possible to do a laundry list of religious obligations and at the same time actually fill our heart with treasures that should not be there treasures that are rooted in selfishness materialism personal ambition pride lust i mean think about it even treasures that are rooted in anger There are some things that we hold on to so tightly because we are so bitter. Treasures can be rooted in fear and anxiety. All we know is what the Scripture is teaching us. Whatever comes out is a sign of the treasure that went in. For example, when a man or a woman struggles with anger, you and I should instantly recognize that person's got some bad treasure in their heart. At the foundational level, it's called self-worship. The demand to be respected. The demand to get even. The demand for justice. We looked at these last week. Jesus addressed these things head on. You see, self-justice is often the gas on the fire of anger. I just can't shake verse 35 from my mind. Even God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. If that's how God should behave and does behave, how much more you and me the saved sinners. Again, if you weren't with us last week, you can watch the live stream to see the context of these difficult but superior truths, as they were called. You know, the more I study the Word, the more I realize these are brilliant spiritual insights that we are looking at in the Scriptures here. This is how life works. What comes out of a person reveals not only who they really are, but what they treasure in their heart. Graham's Sunday school class for weeks has been driving on this point. Christian brother and sister, it is very easy for us to think we are one thing when what's coming out of us is proving something different. Jesus could have given a hundred spiritual virus tests at this point in his sermon, but he only gave two. One, how judgmental are you? And two, how quick are you to see the faults of others? To be sure, these are bad fruit. And we learned that they come from sin that is, that is treasured in the heart. And as verse 45 notes, they particularly come 
from a person's mouth. I'm telling you, every word, every phrase in this sermon that Jesus is giving is packed with truth. A harsh, critical, condemning tongue is the opposite of what Jesus calls us to. It's also dangerous because what goes around comes around. But aren't you also grateful that the same, the same is true of a forgiving spirit, a giving spirit, one that just does not know limits? It forgives even enemies. It knows how to do kindness and to pray even for those who are hurting them. How much better to be planting those seeds, those treasures in our hearts and around us for the sake of Christ and the gospel. God wants to give every single one of us 2020 spiritual vision. His word is full of the good treasures that should fill our heart so that good fruit is what particularly flows from our tongue. Oh, that the people of God would be known more and more for their forgiveness and generosity, their kindness, their own spiritual growth, and then their ability to minister and inspire spiritual growth in others. Oh, that we would be known for the gracious and edifying speech that comes from our lips, that which ministers grace to the hearers, and the goodness of God that is constantly flowing from us. This is the blessed life. This is the good life Jesus is teaching. This is our calling. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you not only teach us these profound truths that lead to love and joy and peace like no other, these profound truths that though they are hard to hear, they are superior, they lead to blessing, they lead to the good life both now and forevermore. Lord, thank you that you not only teach us these things, but you have done them for us through Christ Jesus. You laid down your life. The son voluntarily gave it, just like a good shepherd would for his sheep. So that those who repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved, forgiven, redeemed, be made a child of God. Lord, if there is anyone here who does not understand this, oh Lord, will you... Inspire them to open your word so you can open their eyes so their heart can receive such eternal, life-changing truths. And for those of us who are your disciples, we're striving to follow you. Lord, help us to not be followers in grand, vague, general terms only but Lord, to bring it down to the specifics that Jesus does. Oh, that we will be slow to judge, quick to forgive. Oh, that the words coming from our mouth will rarely be critical, always first loving, 
always first introspective. Lord, help us to be a people who look deep within so that you may minister far beyond. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. And all God's people said, amen.